Damn. I can't see fucking shit out of this thing. We ready or what? Oh, hold on. I'm fucking with my whole... Oh. Oh, shit. Uh, I just made it worse. Who made this goddamn shit? Well, there's wife. You make your own goddamn match. Look. Nobody's saying they don't appreciate what Jenny did. Well, if all I had to do was cut a hole in a bag, I could have cut it better than this. What about yeah. you, Robert? Yeah. Can you see? Not too good. I mean, if I don't move my head, I can see you pretty good, more or less. But when I start riding, the bag's moving all over, and I, I'm riding blind. Yeah. I just made mine worse. <laughs> This is a great show, man. Thanks for having me on. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Generation Lost, the show about movies with Bryn. And Jeremy. That doesn't take itself too seriously. And this week, we are on week four of Quentin Tarantino month. Where we are talking about all of Tarantino, not all of them. Where this is a dark. We're getting council. close. I mean, we're. <laughs> yeah, well, you were watching all of the. I'm extra watching movies. almost all of them. I still haven't watched Death Proof, but. Reasonable. Getting um, pretty fucking close here. This is the fourth uh, Dark Council. This is the third Dark Council pick. We did our host pick in the middle of the month, so we could be going chronologically. Uh, and this week it is Django Unchained, um, which we're very excited to talk about. Um, how are you liking Quentin Tarantino month? I am having a fucking blast. Yeah, last <laughs> I'm episode, having a great time. I <laughs> love I love Quentin Tarantino movies. I love I I mean I know that they're not like, you know, they're not the best things in the world, but goddamn, I really like especially this week in particular watching Django and Inglorious Bastards in the same week. I'm just like, ooh, peak fun. Peak fun times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh yeah, I mean, you know, Quentin is an it's been an interesting uh month for me because we have watched two movies I really dislike and one that I thought I liked a lot and was a little disappointed hmm. by I mean we talked about it. Like it just has oh, a lot of oh, oh, oh. I thought you meant this one. I was no, gonna no, be like, no, 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 no. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie Brown has was a movie that I had a lot of yeah, fond memories uh, of. Fond memories of it and respect for it. And I still think it's a good movie. I th- you know, we talked about it. Uh, but it, it, I was a little disappointed in it that it had so much flab and it kind of drags in the middle. And Yeah. Um, so I was excited to get to Django, a movie I was pretty sure I liked. And um, find that it uh, surpassed my expectations. Um, so we will get the, to that after... We talk about what else we watched this week. And well, Jeremy, Bryn, I got to know, what did you watch this week? Okay, let's go with what I watched this Just week for, first. for order's sake and for Sure, because we're basically going to have a very long conversation about his, basically, two Quentin Tarantino movies this time. I wish I watched it as well. Um, yeah. Should have. Uh, but this week, I, this is a, this is one, it's funny, whenever I try to bank a movie, like, from a week before or something, I always end up just talking about it. I, I can't mm-hmm. hold my tongue. Like when I watch four movies on an airplane, I always, I'm like, well, I also watch this and this, uh, this week I, I, uh, I have a movie banked from a couple weeks ago, um, which is John wick chapter four directed by Chad Ooh. Stice, Stalski, Staliski. 
I don't know. How the to guy. Stalesky. The John Wick guy. Stahelski. Yeah, the John Wick guy. He's directed, I think, all of them. Uh, the first movie, I believe, was a collab. Um, but yeah, he's the John Wick guy. He directs them all. And this is the fourth one. Um, and I, I don't. we've talked about John Wick a little bit on this mm-hmm. show. Yeah, um, I've, I watched a John Wick not too long ago and talked about it. Was it just the first one? Maybe, yeah. That's the one where they kill the dog and then he... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I thought for some reason I was going to watch the second one. Maybe I just didn't end up watching it. The second one is when it starts getting very good. Uh, the first one is a, a little bit of a... It was a fluke, I think. Like they wanted an excuse to make a fighting movie and everyone loved the fighting. Uh, and ju- something about the excuse to be like <laughs> he has to ki- and it hints towards like oh and there's also this hotel where you you know there no fighting is allowed and there's this whole like league of assassins um mm-hmm. and then the second one they really full go full like fighting harry potter about it where it's like there's all these different assassins and leagues and there's a high council and there's all of these uh like f- formalities and rituals um it's um, it's like a, I I think of it as like a Harry Potter for for fighting movies. Um, second one they go even deeper. Third one a little too deep, I'd say. <laughs> mm. uh, third one, he has to like go to the desert and find this guy, and uh, in this one it sort of wraps up everything. This is the final John Wick movie, and I kind of believe it. Uh, it feels like they're running out of ideas a little bit and mm-hmm. kind of were like, all right, everyone gets their last hurrah. Lots of people die. Um, I don't think they're bringing some of these people back or uh, any of these people, back. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, spoil it too much. Um, if you're a big fan of John wick, but some main characters end their story, like pretty hard. end. the movie ends with a, Nice little bow uh, where everything kind of feels done with. And the directors have said, um, and Keanu has said, like, we don't really have anything else to say or do. Like, we kind of did it all, John Wick. But the, the studio <laughs> really doesn't want that. Mm-hmm. Um, because every one of these movies has made more than the last. This movie cost $100 million to make, which I think was the most... Uh, that any of them have. Um, let's see. Three was seventy-five million and made three hundred and twenty-seven million. Two was uh, forty. Only f- they're so cheap. Forty million and made one hundred and seventy. John Wick One was a little low-budget movie. Cost twenty, made eighty. This movie cost one hundred, made four hundred and fifty million. So okay. they just keep making more money. This one isn't even as like big and bombastic. Like I feel like three was like. We're going to go to all these places and, you know, blow stuff up and make it as huge as possible. And four feels almost like um, they really go all in on like closing up all of the the world and being like, this is how it works. This is what John is going to have to do to get in their good graces. And then he does it. And then the movie ends. Um, lots of great fighting, some hilarious stuff in it. Um, we get uh, Donnie Yen. Um, who is, he's Ip Man, you know? I don't know if, mm. you, if you know anything about fighting movies. He's, he's Ip Man. He's the, it's a, it's a Hong Kong 
classic okay. um, film series uh, from like the, the late 2000s. Um, and he's in this as a blind guy who he's like a blind fighter who is at first somebody who's going to try and kill John Wick. And then they team up later in the movie and then they have awesome fights. Um, it kind of ups the comedy a little bit because of Donnie. Um, there's a lot of really funny, like his, his whole performance and fighting style is like this whole new thing he invented just to be like a blind guy who's really good at fighting. Um, and that stuff is all really funny and good. Um, I feel like they, they squeezed the last, the last amount of fun ideas. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I remember watching the first one and thinking like, surely they've squeezed most of this, you know, it's like the hotel and like that culture is like an interesting next angle to, to look at. But then once you do that, I'm like, I think you're probably done. No, I think it kind of sounds like you're saying that where the third one is like maybe too much. So I think the third one gets by. So the second one is great, has some really interesting fight scenes. And I think the weakest part of it is the ending, which is a sort of more straightforward fight in a location that I don't love because it's like a hall of mirrors. So it just feels a little bland, a little mm-hmm. um, sort of straightforward. Three has a, some bad acting and a little too, they're trying to do a little too much, but the fights are the most creative. There's like this fight, it's all knives. This fight, there's dogs and they're sure. helper dogs and they, they're wearing little bulletproof vests and like they use them in really <laughs> creative ways. And this is the kind of stuff, it's funny because I like John Wick, but I don't like Kill Bill. And I think it's because they focus so much, the whole point of the movie is to make these fights so interesting mm-hmm. uh, and they don't go too long. They're really careful to make them exciting and fun and sometimes there's guns sometimes there's knives and sometimes there's dogs and whatever um and they're just directed really impeccably and really tightly and then they also add this fun little story on top of the of this weird fantasy assassin guild um and then so i think for there's a lot of really fun stuff they found this cool gun they had like guns made for the movie there's like cool guns where I was like, this is the scene where we do like a hotline Miami and he's going through a house, but he has a shotgun that like fires fireworks. It's like they catch on fire. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's amazing. There's one that's like this on this really long stairs up to a, up to a mansion. He's trying to get to a place before day sunrise to have a duel. Um, lots of fun stuff, lots of very creative stuff. And it, it just really felt like, okay, this is as far as we can take this. We're going to do as much as we can, and then we're going to end it. And that feels like the best thing to do here. Also, John, you know, Keanu is not a young man. <laughs> he's a... He's a, is like 50s or 60s now, right? He is 58. Yeah. So he was... Uh, when they started this... Let's see. When was John Wick 1? Um... John Wick 1 was... It feels like a long time ago. Uh, why can't I find it? It was 2014. So 10 years ago. Yeah. So he was already an older guy. He was 48. Um, now he's been doing this for 10 years. Now he's almost 60. And you can feel him slowing down. Like, he, he, he is still very much capable of all the gunplay. His actual fighting feels like it's slowed down a little bit 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think th- they've already announced that there's going to be a, another different movie called Ballerina, which is a spin-off movie featuring mm. uh, one of the characters from the, one of the girls. The Ballerina girl character, from the book of John Wick. From the book of John Wick. So the, the, the Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood is going to get what they want and get, you know, this still going on. Nobody, people just like love this formula. Uh, you know, nobody, which was uh, Bob Odenkirk. Oh yeah, Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, being John Wick, and that made um, some money, even though it was in COVID. Um, so I don't know. I hope that there isn't another one of these because I have a lot of goodwill for this series. So I watched it, being like, maybe it'll be good, and it was fine. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but it is running out <laughs> and it's it everyone feels more like you're doing this because they make so much money and i'm i'm hoping that they don't that they don't overstay their welcome but i like this one if you liked john wick two and three this one i think it's worth watching it's a good time mm-hmm. it's a it's a if you like it it's another one of those that's all you can really say for it is that it's like it's fine it's a good john wick movie and it ends like a good movie should. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I liked it. Recommended. What did you watch this week? Thank you for asking, Bryn. You As are a welcome. Further exploration of our boy Quentin Tarantino. Uh, I went ahead and watched what I think we both think of as his best movie, and I think it remains uh, even after this experiment i would love Um, to hear somebody make an argument that it isn't i mean the only argument i can make that it isn't is that maybe django pushes it a little bit for me but i don't think having watched both of them basically today (laughs) i think i can say i I still put (laughs) inglorious bastards ahead of it but i watched inglorious bastards this week that is a lot of quentin it is, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, I started in Glorious Bastards yesterday, and then I finished it this morning, and then I watched Django. Or no, sorry, I watched Django this morning, because it was a higher priority. And then I finished Bastards. <laughs> oh, okay. And you sandwiched. I was, I was a few minutes late for uh, beginning the episode today, because I had to watch the final scene uh, where Landa Aldo gets Rain, his... uh cuts open Landa's head. Yes, sir. Um, beautiful movie. Wonderful movie. It's Gotta so good. Gotta just say that right off the bat. Fantastic. Um, it it looks really good. Uh-huh. Which is really surprising because, I mean, like, his movies do look good generally. And, like, you kind of start seeing him, like, in Kill Bill, he starts to really start to get into making them look really, really good. Like, before, before Kill Bill, I feel like aesthetic is, like, second to style, if that makes sense. Yes, he's more I, interested I think, in like having interesting stuff happen and showing things in an interesting way and Pulp putting interesting is stuff in there. A movie that is only really stylized because it is cut quickly mm-hmm. and has it's in it's a nonlinear style. Um, it has like a a set dressing and look flair, mm-hmm. but in terms of directing. It is pretty straightforward, save for a few shots, you know, like, yeah, there's like the the classic stuff of like Christopher, like, it's not stuff now we would call that it barely registers as like stylistic to have mm-hmm. like, um, Chris, and it's because it's so old, 
but like Christopher Walken, like looking directly at the camera, telling the watch story, right? You know the 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 briefcase opening, and you never see what why it's glowing or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like those were stylistic choices at the time that like people were like, wow, crazy. But now it kind of just feels like regular ass filmmaking of like, right. hey, do something interesting. Let me see something cool. Um, but Kill Bill is the first one where he really starts to be like. Like, I'm going to make the setting really interesting. I'm going to, like, pick what's in the shot. I'm going to, like, play with, like, what's around them. I'm going to play with what they're wearing, what everything is, you know, how it all interacts with each other, as well as actually framing things interestingly and in ways that are homages to my influences and whatever, right? So what's interesting, though, watching these all in order the way that I am, like, the absolutely fucking massive glow up that takes place between <laughs> Kill Bill and Inglorious Bastards is like wild. And it does kind of make me want to watch Death Proof because I'm very curious if that fits in the middle or if that's kind of its own thing altogether. But like the difference aesthetically between Kill Bill and Inglorious Bastards is like night and day. Like Inglorious Bastards looks like a real ass movie. You know, Kill Bill and everything before that kind of looks a little silly in comparison. You're like, oh, these are all his early works. And now he starts making his real movies. I simply must agree. Uh, I think that Inglorious Bastards, and it's funny, I remember this happening. Mm -hmm. um, And it felt like it took a really long time because Tarantino for me, up until 2009 when the glorious bastards came out was like a guy who I kind of put in the category of Nolan of like at the time Nolan had made the prestige and memento. And I was like, those are fun movies and cool. Uh, and then he'd made a bunch of dog shit. Uh, Mm. (laughs) and I was like, I hate to kill bill. I was not a Reservoir Dogs fan. So at the time, he had made Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown, and that's it. Right. And when Death Proof came out, I saw it because it was like a fun thing. And I was like, that was actually kind of fun. It had a, it had a more kind of driving thrust, and it felt like he'd, he'd gotten better at screenwriting. And then Inglorious Bazzards came out, and it felt like a revelation. Yeah. Like, it felt way better than if he had he had made this huge jump in like writing in building tension in mm-hmm. directing actors yeah in plotting a, a a story and then just like showing it in a really interesting bombastic stylistic way it i don't think people talk enough about and it's it's funny you know we've been doing uh th- this month this whole month in chronological order and i feel like he was basically like a glorified like mtv like music video director who had some fun like ideas until this yeah. movie mm-hmm. this yeah, movie it feels like jettisons um, him into a he made a classic all of a sudden i always think about how bands um like blink 182 is a perfect example of this where like there's bands that get big for like sort of an adolescent sort of a, you know, Mm. style. And then there's like a point where they have to be like, okay, we can either be like old guys still playing this, or we can have a conscious decision to grow up and make a grown up album. And every band tries it. And I, you know, to differing degrees, it's successful and whatever. This feels like the Quentin Tarantino, like I grew up moment where he's just like, I can't keep doing that movie that style of movie forever. Yeah. You know, I want my legacy to be something substantive, not just like the fun guy who makes fun, you know, whatever. 
<laughs> like it's yeah, hard to sure. really describe this. It's like the colors change, you know, like the 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 vibe of it is like completely fucking different. But he really like he's he's very masterfully controlling his Tarantino shit in in Bastards in particular. Yes. Where like he really feels like he's kind of like got it under control in such a way that he's able to just let a little bit out here and there just as a little treat, you know, just where, as like a little fun useful. thing where it's useful or where it's funny. It like adds something to it that he's doing this where like, you know, in like Kill Bill, you'd have like in the middle of the crazy 88 sequence, you know, like it switches to black and white all of a sudden or it switches to silhouette all of a sudden. And you're right. like, I get it. You're doing that because you like how that looks and you're like having fun and whatever. But like the difference between that and like, how out of the fucking blue it hits you when you first see Hugo Stiglitz and you get the burn <laughs> like yeah that hits you like a fucking truck because you're just like I forgot I was watching this guy's movie <laughs> well and it's I mean it's funny I, I remember going to see this movie and you know up until this movie every movie every Quentin Tarantino movie I saw would was with a grain of salt or like a, a bit of like skepticism i was like mm. is he gonna do dumb kill bill shit again or is he gonna do something interesting and like the f- whole opening sequence of uh hans landa going to uh the farm the french guy's farm and speaking yeah. french and it's so delicate and like taking its time and then when you like when you when it reveals that he really is hiding jewish people like how just the tension just rises and rises and you're just like you're so in immediately yeah. and the, and it's like a 10 minute maybe five minute long scene it's pretty long yeah and there's like it's it's a long sequence and then once you get into the american commandos then it's just like okay now it's fun too and then we go back and forth between these like modes where you know we're having like very tense conversations with nazis we're have we're following this woman shoshana uh shasana right shoshana um, yeah who uh has the cinema and like this plan is unraveling and it's like he because Pulp Fiction everyone likes the stories in it right like they're fine like yeah it's about a guy they're looking for a briefcase it's a big MacGuffin movie but like what you really like is the little stories of like Uma Thurman and the boxer and like right these little like uh, motifs these little uh, it, it it's almost like little short stories um and this is really honestly the first movie that has like this overarching plot mm-hmm. that has real characters with real stakes um, that matter. Because I was comparing Django while I was watching it to um, Kill Bill. And it's like the fighting sequences in Kill Bill just have no weight to them for me because yeah. it's like, who's the bride? I don't give a shit. Right. I, I don't care if she wins or dies. Like it doesn't really matter. I don't yeah, know what the stakes really are. Yeah, we didn't really know her long enough before the movie started to even really like it it really hinges itself on the belief that you will care that a woman was shot at her wedding. Right. A woman who you don't know, who for all you know like you don't know shit about her <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. And all I know about her is that she's also an assassin. Right. And like also really good at killing people and seems to have seems to be some sort of superhero who is yeah. great and can't and, die. And like so. all the bad things that you're supposed to hate Bill for and, and hate all the other assassins for are literally exactly what she did also. Like she yeah. was one of them. <laughs> she was part of the team. 
so the I only difference get... is she has a baby, which apparently we also don't care about very much because Vernita Green also had a baby. So not super clear what we're supposed to care about. There. Right. And that movie is that's one of one of the many reasons I don't find it that enjoyable is that it's just like it's all fluff for like being cool looking. Mm. And if you think it's cool looking, we talked about it. That's fine. It's great. It's all a bunch of cool looking stuff. Uh, this movie, you immediately, and it, some people criticize it for like cheating, <laughs> that kind of thing by being in World War II and like mm-hmm. having these huge like stakes of a country doing a ethnic cleansing. Yeah. Um, but I think it takes them very seriously. It takes them very seriously. And I also think like it, I would, I would really, really argue against the point that like the stakes are being cheated by having it be world war two, because like, I think a big feeling by the end of the movie, like I, I had it the first time I watched it and I had it again this time watching it where like, when they get the plan all together and they blow up Hitler and they blow up the movie theater and whatever, yeah. I remember the sequence of seeing the three different dynamites blow up and seeing that they were on the legs of Donnie Donowitz and the other guy and being like, Oh no, you guys didn't take them off. <laughs> oh no. You know what I mean? Like you like those characters and you're like, Oh, I don't want Donnie to die. Donnie rocks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's one of my guys. He's one of my he's fucking guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, yeah, it's like, it's, um, he, and I think, unfortunately, if I have any complaint about the movie is that while the bastards are fun and good, like, I don't know if there's enough, it, it's been a while. I haven't seen it as soon as you, and we can't really have like a episode about it, but like, mm-hmm. I remember being like, I wish I could have spent a little more time with the bastards because yes. we get all this great stuff with Fassbender and, and Shoshana and stuff. Um, and while you, you get just enough to like the bastards, you're not like so uh, attached to them that it's like a huge deal when that, when that happens, but mm. it, it balances it pretty well. Um, I think they do a good job of, like considering how many of them there are, which is possibly too many. Um, like sure, he wants eight, to right? have too many of the guy, like there's a lot of them, but like, um, but in terms of like how many of them he wants you to spend time with and get to know a little bit about, like, I think he maybe overplays his hand on that. Sure. Um, like I think you get a pretty good sense of like Donnie, even though there's like almost nothing to him. Like you really get his character pretty well. Aldo, you get incredibly well. Oh, yeah. Um, an incredible character <laughs> those are really nicely realized characters I think BJ Novak's character for how minimal his role in the movie is actually mm-hmm. really comes through pretty cleanly at the end sure. um, but then there's like I mean the other guy who I referred to as the other guy <laughs> Donnie Donowitz is is Donnie Donowitz but the other guy who plays uh, who is the third guy in the Italian caper you don't know fuck all about him so it really doesn't matter that he dies yeah I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember is it Omar or I think it's or- yeah, I think it is Omar. Hirschberg. Hirschberg, maybe. Um, there's a couple. I'm looking at the cast, and it's like, uh, there's like the one. There's the cast has like big paragraphs, like describing on Wikipedia, describing mm-hmm. who they are, and then it's like on the other side, it's just like a member of the bastards, a member of the bastards, and it's like that's it. That's yeah. 
they yeah so it's sam levine it's hirschberg that's what i'm thinking of um oh yeah from freaks and geeks Mm -hmm. um uh, yeah so i mean i think it's one of those things where he wrote a a a tv show (laughs) like or no sorry it's not even hirschberg it's um omar it's omar ulmer is the third guy in the the caper and he really i mean yeah you don't fucking know anything about him except that he doesn't speak italian no (laughs) (laughs) that's like the one thing you ever find out about him yeah uh yeah and you know you could we could have gotten more of that but how long can this movie really be how long can this movie really be um, an hour longer in my opinion um <laughs> i want a four hour i movie. wanted i wanted a longer movie i wanted yeah, more of them the very the very rare jeremy wants the movie to be longer mm-hmm. extremely um, rare yeah <laughs> so so that all is is what it is i think um i think ultimately though it's it's just like it's really tightly done it's really fun it's a good time um the like the the style of it is really nice but I think like now that I'm talking about it out loud, I think like a lot of this stuff is true of Django as well. I think the two of them really are at each other's heels for me in terms of like which one I like more. Um, so we can get into Django if you want. Yeah, I think um, it's I think it's probably about time to get into Django. The so point is though, the main Inglourious Bastards is great. Inglourious Bastards is the best. Uh, the 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 main thing to take away from here though, uh, in terms of like the narrative arc of this month, is that the the gap in quality is so massive it's between pre kill bill and post kill bill like he's a different filmmaker from here on out because even the ones that come after this like hateful eight and and hollywood which are not my favorite tarantinos they still are like technically way better <laughs> you know they oh, yeah. look like real ass movies from here on out basically it almost makes it uh, yeah watching django made me want to revisit hateful eight Mm-hmm. Um, and we will, and we will, um, and maybe revisit Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with less like different expectations. Yeah, I'm um, planning to. I mean, we'll see how it works out with Rome in the way, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, let's get into our feature presentation, which is Django Unchained, uh, Quentin Tarantino's one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh movie. Wow. Um his seventh film starring Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kerry Washington, and Samuel Jackson um, from 2012. Mm. Uh, this movie, well, let's just very quickly, it's about a, uh, a enslaved person named Django who got married to uh, a woman named Brumhilda. They tried to run away. There's a uh, bounty hunter named King Schultz who is undercover as a dentist. He is trying to find, he finds Django and says, you know what the people I'm looking for look like. So will you help me out? Um, They go on their merry way. They get into some trouble. They keep doing some bounty hunting. They find the people. Django turns out to be really good at shooting. Um, and just he, a cool guy and a good hang. And he's just a sick dude. And uh, <laughs> he kills those guys for him. Uh, and the dentist, or not real dentist, but bounty hunter, King, King Schultz, he's like, hey, we make kind of a good team. Why don't we spend the winter doing bounty hunting and uh, we'll make some money and then we'll go find your wife and then we'll set you free. And, uh, you know, I guess he's already free, but he's like, then we'll, we'll set her free. They come up with a plan yeah. to find her. So they do that. They spend the winter hunting. 
They go find uh, where he is. She's owned by Leonardo DiCaprio, who is a southern gentleman who owns a huge plantation called Candyland. His name is mm-hmm. Mr. Candy, Monsieur Candy. Monsieur Candy. Uh, and they go to his place pretending to be slavers who are trying to get into, quote unquote, Mandingo fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretending to want to buy a, a guy for $12,000 so that they can get into his good graces by uh Broomhilda, Django's wife, uh, and get out of there. They get found out. Uh King dies in the hustle. Uh they almost sell Django to a mining uh company. He outsmarts them and then goes, rescues Broomhilda. And kills absolutely up, everybody. Kills absolutely every motherfucker in the room and they ride away into the midnight sunset. And that mm-hmm. is the movie. The midnight sunset. <laughs> Well, it's nighttime. <laughs> um, and that's what Django's about. I saw this movie the weekend it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, I think that my experience with this movie was very um, colored by the fact that I had seen it in a movie theater where I was the only white person. And every mm-hmm. else, everybody else in the theater was black. And my experience of the movie was i think if i had seen this in a reg in a movie theater with all with a bunch of white people uh i would have been like is this cool <laughs> mm. is this like cool i mean you know i just i don't know I, I it's not for me to say really and quentin tarantino is a white guy who has you know he just happens to talk like that sometimes he talks like that so he's a code switching white boy <laughs> and uh i i don't know i might have been like is this a chill thing to do? Uh, my my feeling on that is colored by my experience of seeing it in a in a black movie theater where everyone was having the time of their life. Mm-hmm. This was one of the best movie going experiences I've ever had. Like just cheering through the movie, just like every time you know I like the way you die, boy. Like yeah, huge standing uh, like not i'm not kidding like <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah. standing and cheering at the movie and it was fantastic it was a fun time and i was just like yeah this is cool this is a great thing to have made and what was unfortunate is that the 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 conversation around django after that was a bunch of new york times writers hand-wringing about whether this was cool mm-hmm. which was uh what i probably would have done being a white person um right. <laughs> but i think it is cool um mm-hmm. What was your experience with this movie? Uh, I also saw it the week it came out, maybe a week after it came out, pretty early on, because I'm looking at the date, and I know that I saw it a second time uh, with my wife when we met uh, two weeks mm. or three weeks after this oh, came out. Oh, um, interesting. So I took her to see it on maybe our like third or fourth date, because I was like, this shit fucking rocked. You have to see it. <laughs> And like, yeah. I didn't know her very well yet. I wouldn't have, you know, if we been together a few years, I probably wouldn't have brought her because I don't think she liked it very much. Um, <laughs> but I fucking loved it. And I was like, you must see this. It fucking yeah. rules. <laughs> because by now I'd already been primed by, uh, by Inglorious Bastards to kind of understand this era of Tarantino where it's like, you know, he gets so much shit for this one for being like, are you, is it cool for you to do this? You're white. But nobody ever gave him shit for not being Jewish and doing Inglorious Bastards, you know? <laughs> well, like, so so that's an interesting thing. And I think, so my my expectation of this movie was that it was going to be Inglorious Bastards for 
the antebellum south mm-hmm. um which it isn't very importantly is not and i think mm-hmm. my rating of this movie as lower um than inglorious bastards f- until recently um came from the fact that i was expecting that and right. that it really doesn't take it doesn't you don't get the 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 Christoph Waltz scenes where the tension is rising anywhere near as much. Oh, like, sure, sure. It doesn't sure. take the 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 premise of slavery with as much tense gravity in that way. Mm. Um, and I felt that that was a little bit strange. And I think it's a different kind of tense gravity in this, though. So my my feelings on this has changed in this viewing. Okay, where the, this this viewing I realize what he's trying to do is not show you uh this like um is not do this sort of uh it's not a it's not an army movie you know he's he's inglorious bastards is that way because he wanted to make a steve mcqueen movie you know like mm-hmm. he wanted to make this like tense thoughtful you know but but with big heroic stuff happening um this movie is a western right and that's all he wanted to make a Western. So the villains are fucking uh, greasy mustache twirling evil people who are, you know, fountains of blood executed to mm-hmm. cheers. And it doesn't really work to also, it wouldn't be good to uh, inject this movie with deeply serious meditations on the the horrors of slavery oh, sure you, yeah. s- you see them as big horrible torturing devices mm-hmm. and then as excuse for amazing fun revenge right and and you do get some of that tense sort of feeling but it's like a different sort of a thing where in like a glorious bastards it's like this i mean it's traditional tension right where it's like it feels like they're stretching everything and like it's tense the way that like an object is tense you know you're Mm -hmm. pulling a rubber band until it's gonna snap yeah you know in this the tension is like much faster the way it's happening where like it's it's like a squeamish tense tension more than anything you get these scenes where like the first time we meet candy and like he's watching the two guys fight on the floor and the camera is like catching everybody's reaction to it and you're seeing different people's ways of like not just like reacting to the horror of what they're seeing but they're reacting to the way that they have to survive in this world so you're seeing like you know the his his like glamorous woman on the couch who we don't know anything about except for that scene but you know everything about her already where she's got like her champagne and she's sitting there and she's like you know being like flirty and fun but then you're seeing in her eyes that she's like you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah you see the bartender like look away and then look back and even like Django when he's like doing his best job to like puff out his chest and be like, I'm not fucking scared of this. I'm not pussy. You know, I think yeah. it's cool what you're doing actually. <laughs> like even in his eyes, you can see like just the, you can see the, the, rage. the, the rage and the sadness and the despair of just like, what are you doing to these people? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it, it, I think this movie in a certain way. And I, it, you know, I think that forever, my feeling now is forever that whenever I watch whatever one more recently is going to be the one I rate higher. Mm-hmm. Because I watch this just like every sequence being like, fuck yes. Yeah, this yeah, movie yeah. rules. <laughs> every single piece of it. And it's so, it's funny comparing this directly to Kill Bill because this movie has 
no downtime. Like yes. every sequence is fun in terms of like you get to watch Christoph Waltz be his amazingly charming character mm-hmm. and just like, you know, it's the something me and my friend call uh, confidence porn. Right, yes. Or, or competence porn. Competence, yeah. Where it's just like he's so good at his job, he can manipulate anybody and he does it perfectly and makes no mistakes. It's just like so fun to watch him just be like, I'm a bounty hunter. This is how it works. Mm-hmm. I am perfect at it. And I have everyone wrapped around my little finger. And I have uh, like a little bit of space to have a little bit of fun with it, but only <laughs> within my control, you yeah, know, <laughs> like, exactly. even when he like kills the sheriff in that shitty little town that they're in. He's like, by the way, Django, uh, you know, you didn't know this, but uh, this all was actually part of a bounty that I was also here to collect. Uh, it <laughs> seems like we just stopped here for a drink in a random town. Actually, I was here on business and I just yeah. killed this guy. I'm going to get $500. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we had a nice little beer, and you have this scene with Django, which, which within this rotating, like spinning plates, where T- Quentin is, you know, holding this, deepening the characters between uh, Schultz and, and Django, their relationship, showing you what his life is like, how he's so like competent and talented at bounty hunting, all at the same time. And also just showing these like dipshit idiots, racists, mm-hmm. uh, who we don't care if they get killed. Uh, yes. Just like establishing how this film, this movie's world works. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting. Um, well, first of all, it's interesting to to think of Schultz versus uh, Landa, right? The two yeah. characters that Christoph Waltz plays in in Tarantino movies that they're both these like hyper competent people, and they both add a different thing to the movie where like. In, in Inglorious Bastards, it's this cat and mouse thing where it's like, you know, like he's so competent that you're always afraid that he's going to blow up the whole thing and he's going to ruin the cool thing you want to happen. Right. And so when the cool thing happens at the end, you're like, curse, the cool thing happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, as Landa, you know, I love that he casts him as basically the same guy, but you can be on his side in this one where he's like yeah. the sort of John Brown and I uh, well, wonder really, how but... much of like actually making this movie came about just because Tarantino met Christoph Waltz and was like, this guy fucking rules. I have <laughs> to put him in another thing. Because like, as far as I know, Christoph Waltz was nobody before uh, before Inglorious Bastards. Like, he just kind of got I don't know found where, I mean, and he... just appeared, you know? <laughs> I mean, he had he had been in a couple of things, German stuff. Mostly. Yeah, it seems like he'd been in German stuff and like TV shows and shit. I don't know where he found this guy. He, it doesn't look like he was in anything popular exactly. Um, maybe on the stage or something, TV shows. Uh, I guess, yeah, I don't know where he came from. But he, that's one of Tarantino's big, I think, uh, accomplishments as a director is finding an actor who just like makes your movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, like... If even if Brad Pitt as uh, as Aldo isn't in the movie, I feel like the movie's carried by Kristoff. Yes, but also uh, Brad Aldo, Pitt as, as Aldo is fucking incredible. He's, he's a sensation. So yeah. good. Um, but to be like, okay, let's make a whole movie around this guy uh, is a stroke of genius, and make it something so fun. Anyway, to be like, because because Quentin talked about. His idea for this movie is, I think I heard, listened to this in a, uh, a podcast, but mm-hmm. he said, uh, he said, 
uh, well, actually, there's a quote right here that kind of leads into it. It says, I was writing a book about Sergio Corbucci. I and when I came up with a way to tell a story, I was writing about how his movies have this evil Wild West, horrible Wild West. It dealt a lot with fascism. So I'm writing a whole piece on this. I'm thinking, I don't really know if Sergio was thinking this while he was doing this, but I'm thinking about it now and I can do it. <laughs> and so he was thinking about making a movie about fascism and then using it to give black America a Western hero that like white people had in Josie Wales and in, in John Wayne. Um, but he's like, black America should have a, a Western hero like that. Um, and so that's his intention here of like creating this character who's like this American legend of a guy who like rode around and killed racists. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just so success. It's just so successful at that. Like, it's yeah. just like, how can you not fucking want to see Django win and right. just kill all of these evil fascists? Right. And that was the thing that I was going to say is like the, one of the things that's so interesting in this one as kind of a thing that distinguishes it from inglorious bastards is the lack of a Hans Landa character. There isn't a like cunning, you know, like possibly going to blow up the whole plan. Uh, racist guy really i mean candy kind of gets that but he's a dumbass and he only really like finds out what's happening because samuel jackson tells him what's happening like yeah. he would have been completely fucking you know had. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like an interesting angle to it where it's like there is no like there's no like moderately you know uh, yeah. competent guy on the bad guy's side. They're all just complete idiots. They're just who, drooling like, morons yeah, who are the just closest like... to a smart person that they ever get is <laughs> somebody who just like needs a, a slave to tell him what's what. Yeah. Uh and you know it's treat the whole movie, I mean, even uh even Schultz is treated as he's not an American. You know, mm -hmm. he's like, I don't fuck with all this. I'm here yeah. just like he's just like making money off of this ridiculous system that supposedly existed where you could just like find all kinds of bounties <laughs> to kill people and get, you know, money. Yeah. And, uh, although there is this interesting kind of like to, to transpose this onto like real life a little bit, like Schultz is this interesting character within this as sort of a stand in for like white liberals where like, he is, yes, yeah. he is on Django's side and he is ostensibly helping Django and trying to help Django, but he is also like constantly without Django's consent, getting him into trouble. <laughs> like, <laughs> in the, like he's like walking him into town on a horse and like he knows damn well that he's creating a huge scene and then it's like murdering the guy in front of him, whatever. And it's like, yeah, sure. Like he was able to talk himself out of it, but like, you know, what if he wasn't God, you know, <laughs> what if he wasn't like the most incredible talker that was ever born, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, and and the fact that the whole him getting getting Django caught is like his mistake, you know, like he shouldn't have shot Candy. Yeah, like his sort of like overconfidence and um, just his own like rage and white guilt mm -hmm. of just being like fuck this guy man and it's like you kind of like understand it and yeah. even Django seems to understand it and like you know they were friends uh but he could have just shaken the guy's hand yeah and, and i feel like quentin is very quentin has a lot of black friends mm -hmm. and, and 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 you know 
Samuel Jackson is a militant anti-racist. Yeah. Like he is a, a guy who has a lot of very strong opinions and a lot of very, you know, left-leaning socialist opinions. He's not letting Quentin get away with anything. Like, <laughs> you know, I think Quentin has learned a lot since Jackie Brown. Um since since Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that he has a lot of interesting exploration of his own complicity in things. And the, the, the Schultz character is a complicated character. I think that I saw some people saying like, oh, well, he's got this white savior character in it. And I, I don't think that that's fair at all to no. call Schultz a white savior character because he's very competent and he is a white guy and he kind of sets this whole thing in motion. But it, he's not supposed to be like the guy who wins it all. Like, no, he, you're very obviously supposed to see Django as the fucking coolest guy in the world. <laughs> like, Django <laughs> is very obviously the hero of this story. Like, from the get go, from the moment he's like, from the moment he's freed, you see it where he like, you know, he uh, when when uh, Schultz is like, go get that dead guy's jacket, and you see him like fucking cast off his his blanket the way that he does, and then like at the end of that sequence when him and Schultz are leaving and he's like, all right, here's the gun. You can go ahead and murder that guy and then go find freedom or whatever. And like all four of the other slaves all do the, they like yeah, throw yeah. it off the exact same way. You're <laughs> like, how are you supposed to see that any other way other than like the film is directly telling you Django's the coolest. Everybody wants to be Django. <laughs> Django rocks. Django's nobody thinks, in- nobody thinks Schultz is cool unless you are a white supremacist. <laughs> <laughs> Schultz yeah, I mean, is a cool character. He's great, but it's like you're not supposed to think of him as the cool guy in the movie. <laughs> no, he is a he is an opportunity for Django. Yes, and he his he's Django's sidekick. Django's the main character of this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it's I think not seeing it that way is this sort of like because it's also interesting because Landa is the villain. Mm-hmm. And he's supposed to, he's that kind of likable villain where you're like, oh, this guy's so fucking evil, but yeah, he's like, so I can't fun help to watch. But, yeah, I can't help but be like, oh, man, like he really got me there, huh? Right. And in this one, he's like the nerdy German sidekick um, to Django, who's the stoic, very intelligent one and who's mm-hmm. like extra good at all of the things he's already good at. Um so you get to see him do his fun stuff but and enjoy it, but he still kind of takes a backseat, I think, um, to how good Django is. And in the scene where they're going to uh, Candyland and he stops him, he's like, what are you doing? And like... You, yeah, you it's think Schultz is the one who's almost fucking blowing it the whole time, being too pussy about it. And Django's like, <laughs> "What are you fucking? What's wrong with you? Watch yeah, this guy die." <laughs> we have to, we have to do the thing you said. Like, why are you squeam, being squeamish about it? And they teach each other, and they have a really good relationship. Yeah. Um, and, and I love the way that it's shown that Django has seen way worse shit than than Schultz has. Like yeah. Django has had to live his entire life in as a slave. Uh, he's been sub- subjected to like just inhuman torture. Yeah. And I also love, and I feel like it's just kind of frustrating because there was a big discourse about this movie. There was a lot of controversy about this movie in white, you know, liberal media. Mm-hmm. Um, 
about like, well, it's not very historically accurate. Whatever. Uh, there was like, well, I mean, whatever, but also like one of the things people were like, Mandingo fighting wasn't a real thing. There's no historical like records of that. And there's professors who are like, well, there was like a lot of rumors about it, mm-hmm. but we don't have any like actual historical record that it happened. And it's like, why would you? Like why would <laughs> why would they write it down and be like, look, we're making them fight? Yeah, I was gonna say own, like you like, don't exactly get pleasure. The imp- <laughs> yeah, you don't exactly get the impression in this movie that like what Candy is doing is like above the board. No, <laughs> exactly. The impression that this is like a mainstream. Like you're not, you know, it's happening in like Candy's fucking living room. <laughs> like he's not like having like a big shows of it or whatever. Right, and it's like I I don't know why. You would. Th- I feel like this is one of the most honest slave movies that take place around slavery that have ever been made because mm-hmm. it shows that what slavery was was rich people who have concentration camps in their house. Yeah. Like, just torture chambers and, like, murder piles and, you know, grave holes of, yeah. like, bodies that are just like human misery just in these houses and that, that, and that like, they know the what they're dream. doing, mm-hmm. you know, that they know what this is. That's something that I'm so impressed in this movie that they're constantly pointing out is that like, this isn't some like, you know, naivete of like a, a former generation where they're like, well, black people aren't like the same species as us or whatever. And like their brain, like candy, like breaks out his fucking skull to be like, look at this. This tells you that this <laughs> is okay. What I do. But like, even he in so many interactions is like, you don't approve of what I do or like this guy wouldn't approve of it. You don't think and whatever, like he knows what he's doing. Everybody knows what they're doing. Like when, um, when Django and, and Broomhilda first escape and you see the, um, you see the, the flashback of them and the guy is like, I, I've got no use for a N word with sand and like yeah, sell yeah. him cheap and sell his wife somewhere else. Like he knows he's inflicting cruelty onto a human person there. Yeah. I, and I mean, I think that that, I think this movie made, white America really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because it doesn't show because, you know, even movies like glory and I can't even think birth of a nation. I haven't seen that one, but like these sort of like torture porn, you know, uh, slave era movies, antebellum South era movies, like oftentimes it's, it's like, I think the idea is to like process this, like, national they like want to pose it as like this this american tragedy that we have to like live with and figure out how to process and stuff and like quentin is like no like this is a class of people who did a holocaust for 300 years Mm -hmm. and the only thing we need to do is learn to enjoy murdering them And and I don't I don't find I have no moral quandary with that. Like I yeah. think that that is rad, and like I think that you do have to understand that these people deserve nothing. No, mm-hmm. no retrospective. Like how could they have done this? We don't need to understand that mm-hmm. at all. And I think that taking it in this way of like this is a movie about how awesome it is that you just should kill them yeah. is is great. And I think it, it lines up perfectly with what I think Quentin wants to do, which is make a fun Western movie. It's and such an I, interesting, like it, it makes me think of, um, there was a, uh, 
Chappelle show sketch uh, in, I don't remember, were you a Chappelle show person? Uh, I watched it. I liked it. There was one episode that they did once where it was all um, stuff that got left on the cutting room floor, like sketches that didn't work. And so they're just kind of like showing bits of them and being like, yeah, it didn't work out because of X, Y, or Z. And one of the ones that they did was about the player hater characters going, they get a time (laughs) machine and they go back in time and they find one of their uh, ancestors who's a slave and they're talking to him and he's like, he's like, so you guys in the future, you're free. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, when am I going to be free? And one of them's like, how about now-ish? And he just shoots the slave master. <laughs> and then they just like cut it and it comes back to him. And he's just like, and when we got that to notes, people were like, that's not funny. And he's like, I think it's funny. <laughs> how is it not funny? No, no but th- this, is a th- this is a really important thing is that like white people who are still of a certain class do not think this is cool. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't like here in the in the Wikipedia. There's something very important about when this came out. There were people who were just like mask off about it. It says while hosting NBC Saturday Night Live, Jamie Foxx joked about being excited to kill all the white people in the movie, <laughs> and it's he. It's a very funny opening monologue. He's talking mm-hmm. about like. And I get to kill all the white people in the movie and gets a big laugh. Conservative columnist Jeff Cooner uh, wrote a reaction to the SNL skit for the Washington Times <laughs> saying anti-white bigotry has become embedded in our postmodern culture. Take Django and change. This is 2012, by the way. This is mm-hmm. now. Uh, the movie boils down to one central theme, the white man as the devil, a moral scourge who must be eradicated like a lethal virus. Yeah. Um, and and that's, this is how people see it as like oh i'm like that because people identify with the people who did slavery because they know they would have and would now uh-huh. <laughs> and are benefiting off of american slavery now yeah um it's um it's kind of in a lot of ways you got to give props to quentin on this one where like he kind of made a movie that absolutely nobody was going to be like guaranteed happy with him about like everybody's got like he's really positioned in all different ways from like white liberals being like you're doing you know you're doing bad uh you're 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 appropriating black stories and then like uh spike lee saying like you're not taking slavery seriously enough yeah. <laughs> and then like american conservatives being like you're calling white people evil <laughs> like, there's, <laughs> there's no like group of people that were gonna be like a solid base hit on this one. <laughs> i mean except for like most black people except for most black people yeah but i guess like the i mean that kind of reflects itself in the numbers doesn't it i mean the thing was huge it did john wick four numbers yeah <laughs> uh it was cost ex- it's almost exactly the same numbers it cost 100 million and made 426 million yeah uh and also like i said you know samuel jackson you know he's got a really good take on this he says Django Unchained was a harder and more detailed exploration of what the slavery experience was than 12 Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. But Steve McQueen is an artist. And since he's respected <laughs> for making supposedly art films, it's held in higher esteem than Django. Yeah, dude. That was basically a black exploitation movie. And I fucking agree with him. And Hell while yeah, I, I, Sam. <laughs> like, you know, the thing is, is that this is a movie that has a moral stance. Yes. That like anyone who was even remotely related to SNL or SNL, fuck, I read <laughs> read something, uh, who was remotely related to the Antebellum South and the slave and the slave trade is a 
deeply evil criminal who mm-hmm. should be who should get the death penalty probably also snl for that matter yeah <laughs> you know what and snl too and anyone who's hosted it but um but no i i, I think I think that that is like a firm moral stance that most movies about slavery refuse to take mm-hmm. s- psychotically, you know? <laughs> yeah, they make the, well, it's like the firm moral stance that you will take on that is like, this was bad and an atrocity and like an ugly, horrific thing that happened. And this is the only one that also says like, people did this, Yeah, you know, somebody did this. This wasn't just something that happened. This is something that people did and, and they deserve hell for it. You specific know? <laughs> people who benefited monetarily mm-hmm. and other people, other white people at the time thought it was fucking psycho. Yeah. Like this is, this is the moral quandary of the time where there was people the northerners and you know there was a whole war fought over this thing right about like this is a barbaric psychotic evil and we yeah. shouldn't do it <laughs> and that's why the mandingo thing is so is, is such an interesting angle to take for like a critique of it because it's like sure maybe it isn't strictly true who knows but like it kind of doesn't matter if it's strictly true because it might as well be you know like in terms of like the ugliness that that people in slavery were we're facing on a day-to-day basis. Sure. Maybe this one specific exact thing wasn't exactly a hundred percent true. I don't know. But like that, but there's that, no, but there's that is no a stand in, in this movie be. for like the greatness of the evil that like they, 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 you know, sue them. They fucking condensed the great evil <laughs> of all the violence done against people into like one thing that worked on screen, you know, that right. could like happen in one scene like that. <laughs> because you can't watch that sequence and, ha- and this is honestly so, uh, masterful of quentin because he has all of this violence in the movie that is so fun to cheer for Mm -hmm. and then in the one sequence where the characters are supposed to be cheering for violence it's so deeply brutal and and horrific and you know mortifying that hardly anyone in the movie can look at it yeah uh and you as the audience are just like squirming to even like have it be on screen um that's genius to have a movie that has spurting blood and quentin tarantino himself blowing up with dynamite and love that by in, the way what an incredible in- <laughs> like like his his accent sure bad whatever it's uh, hilarious not great. it's hilarious how bad it is i don't really give a shit i love the idea of being like well i have this movie that's like this bombastic giant puddle of violence where is my cameo gonna be sure i'll blow myself up with fucking dynamite <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very funny. Rocks. Uh, writing in the Los Angeles Times, journalist Ob- Aaron Aubrey Kaplan noted that uh, it's an institution whose horrors need no exaggerating, yet Django does exactly that, either to enlighten or entertain. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I just think that that kind of shit is very wrong. Like, it's not exaggerated. You can't exaggerate the antebellum South. It's so I feel like this is the Americans want to downplay how evil it was Mm -hmm. and they take any example of like, Oh, well they didn't do exactly this. So you shouldn't show it that way. And it's like, you should show it like a torture. Like I like that he has stuff that looks like they're putting in them in like saw machinery, you know, like the weird muzzle masks. Yeah. They're putting them in the fucking side um, down to cut his balls off. Yeah. 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 Like that's, that even if that isn't exactly something that ever specifically happened, I believe it did. 
Mm-hmm. I, w- I would believe it because these people were barbarian evil monsters. Um, and I love that it shows the, the way it shows it as this unforgivable over the top evil. Cause it, it's hard. It's hard to show that seriously. And this one I think does. I think yeah. Sam Jackson is right about that. Um, so once again, Sam Jackson, we salute you. Yeah. A King. Um, otherwise the movie is just a fun, it's a blast it, mm-hmm. and it, it does switch from these moments of like horrific, uh, showing you this, this horror, this horror, uh, to immediately getting, uh, car- um, catharsis for it. And that's just such a delicate dance. And I feel like it never misses. Yeah. Uh, the movie just flows you're constantly and i like when it uh i even like it when it goes into like tropes where it's just like he sees his wife and then they like kiss in like silhouette the best best. come on when when they first see each other and and he says hey little troublemaker unbelievable wow charisma (laughs) fucking movie star (laughs) i mean yeah jamie fox doesn't get enough credit for unbelievable when he fucking blows it up and he like looks back at her over his fucking shoulder with the cigarette in his teeth and then he he fucking does the horse dancing (laughs) come on folks what are we doing here It, it, it's so triumphant and i and i think what's great about it is that it's in earnest is yeah. that he he's taking these like 60s uh tropes that like made these or 60s through you know 40s 50s with john wayne and stuff and making a a real he, you know heroic guy and being like this guy deserves your standing ovation yeah his he, first kill when he uh when he's in the blue velvet uh yeah. outfit and um I think it's when he picks up the whip for the first time and you get that incredible like swooping (laughs) in hero shot of him from like like you get the hero angle but you also get this like cool motion on it where it's like almost like arcing like a bird unbelievable shot really great stuff and that's the thing you know we talked about in the inglorious bastards that like quentin's filmmaking Mm -hmm. jumped like a quantum leap where he like completely understood the movie he was making uh, and how to frame it, not just in like how to build tension and character in, but also in the action mm-hmm. where like once this movie starts, uh, he learned from Inglorious Bastards, I think into this movie where there's straight up like Western and gunfight sequences that are a hundred times more fun and, you know, tense and, cool uh than anything kill bill to me mm-hmm. like the sequence when uh right after uh schultz fi- kills candy and then the gunfight breaks out and he's just like grabbing people's guns he's he's shooting people in the leg there's that one guy who is like on the floor and he keeps getting shot yeah the lawyer guy <laughs> <laughs> he just like keeps getting it like catching strays uh that whole sequence is you're you're s- you're so much understanding of where you are in place, uh, how many bullets he has and like the, the stakes around each individual sequence and setup. It's just, it's so, he's just like grown so much as a director, um, that he can do these sort of like, you know, fairly 
straightforward sequences. There's, it's not like so stylized. It's not like he's pushing the boundaries of what a gunfight is, but they're just like really watchable mm-hmm. and really fun to watch. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the action sequences work. Great Lena, stuff. We haven't Great, talked um, about Leo. Didn't talk about Leo, but his performance is fantastic. I'm Samuel big, Jackson's performance is fantastic. Yes, I'm a big Leo hater. Mm-hmm, me um, too. Yeah, I think Leo is wildly overrated. Mm-hmm. He he has does not deserve the status he has as a uh, as a dang movie star because he's almost never good. Nope. Uh, he doesn't. He does bad accents. He doesn't carry any movies as far like. And even this, I think his accent kind of sucks sometimes, but I think this movie is fine. He just so sells who this guy is as this, like, he's, I love, he's just, it's such a perfectly cast part, I think, for him. Uh, And I, I, I was a little, when I first saw it, I was a little uh, skeptical of it. Um, but he just like his teeth are like kind of dirty. He he's like this uh, me- um, artificially elevated dumbass. Yeah. Who just like inherited? He's a little like prince, you know. Mm-hmm. He inherited all of this wealth. He never worked a day for anything he has. He literally has the most slaves of anybody, um, and he just like he's but he's surrounded by yes men, some of who he literally owns, some of them who are just like dumb bumpkins like him right but he has this like gaudy taste that he thinks he's the best for um it just he sells that character so perfectly um i can't imagine anyone else being candy i think he really really works as a villain yeah um i wish he'd play more villains he's always trying to play like stoic dudes who have some sort of like troubled past or whatever mm-hmm. and he never sells that but this never one, sells it because it's not believable because we know that's not who you are leo yeah i think he's a funny guy he's good in wolf of wall street as like a sleazy salesman who yeah he is should be a Quaalude. piece of shit more often <laughs> yeah he just kind of works that way he works in once upon a time in hollywood too i think um mm-hmm. quentin knows how to how to direct him and get a really good performance out of him um so just most basically uh, let's is there anything you don't like about this movie not really man (laughs) honestly i think there's very little because i mean i think even like it's an interesting one to compare to um jackie brown in a way where like our biggest complaints about jackie brown is that it's too flabby and this one kind of feels like i'd call it marbled it's lean I don't think it's lean at all. No, oh, I think really? it's I think it's luxuriously fatty. You know, oh, okay. I think there's like way more action sequence than you necessarily need to have, hmm. but you are cheering for it. You're loving it. You're loving everything they're giving you, you know, like Okay, I I agree with you. Like there's Marbled. a moment where uh where um Django rescues Brumhilda and they could just get on horses and go. And that's the uh-huh. end of the movie. Ostensibly, we're at the end of what needs to happen in the movie, but the movie gives us 15 more minutes of just like, <laughs> by the way, Jenga's going to go back to the main house. <laughs> He's going to get the rest of them. Don't worry. 
<laughs> he doesn't oh, need yeah. to. He's achieved his mission at this point. This is just icing. You know, this is the cherry on top. We're going to, don't worry, we're going to get Samuel Jackson. He's not getting away. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to free the people in the house too, yeah. except for him, who's a particular type of asshole. Yeah. Um, and and I, I love Stephen or Samuel Jackson's like performance of the, he just clearly lows this type of guy mm-hmm. he, he just like he's playing him with the most h- hatred he just like wants you to hate this guy mm-hmm. um his makeup and his whole performance he's just this sleazy asshole yeah um, who's like keeping several secrets in several different circles and whatever like he acts different ways in front of different people like yeah incredible stuff um and you, you only see the see real it. him like twice where he's like in the parlor, like with a drink, just like, "Ooh, thank you, Stephen. You're welcome, Mister Candy." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, you don't really get to see Sam Jackson do anything like this very often. Um, it's sort of big and 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 sort of theatrical, um, but it really works for me. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really usually with a with a Quentin Tarantino movie. Like even with Inglorious Bastards, I have criticisms where I think either you should have made it a little longer or cut certain things out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of the, uh, I think like the very end when um, there's that real slow motion in the film projection uh, place is oh, a little yeah. like it's a little too much for me. I think it's a little too indulgent. I don't think I really have many criticisms of this movie. I feel like yeah. the places where it indulges are you want you wanted that. You yeah. wanted and that. And that's why cream. I say it's it's marbled, you know, yeah. it's like it's the fat is very nicely integrated in to give it a nice juicy texture. Exactly. <laughs> uh and so in some ways I think that this movie has I, I think I probably will watch Inglorious Bastards and love it even more. Mm-hmm. Um but right now I think this movie is at least on par with that i think it's probably his best film um if not if it's if it's not just on par with inglorious bastards as his best film this movie definitely went up my opinion of it went up as just like what he tried to do was so specific and he just hits it on every single cylinder through the whole movie you never stop loving every character yeah it's just always fun to watch and you're just when you're just left wanting more I want to see. There was a comic book uh, of Django and yeah, Zorro. Yeah, I had a few of those. Who team up? I'd never read them, but like Quentin and Jamie Foxx were like, "We want to make this movie and have Antonio Banderas join it and do like a sequel to Django." Um, never happened. Um, I would sure love it if it did before they got too old. Yeah, um, but who probably knows? getting getting close now, huh? Uh huh. On the bonus episode, someone asked us what movies we wish was a franchise, and I, I, I do think that there's enough meat on the on the bone of of Django to give at least two more movies. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, Django, Django, I would love to see in more more adventures, and I wouldn't mind it getting even more silly. Like that's the thing about franchises that they get silly and they get uh, they get flabby or whatever. They just like. But I want to see what his relationship with Brunhilde is like. I want to see her, you know, learn to shoot. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there's well, so Jimmy much Fox you can do. Well, Jimmy Foxx has great comedy chops. You know, he absolutely could yeah, be. Yeah, he's hilarious. Like, yeah. Uh, 
it could be a very funny movie where they're just like stringing people up all over the place. <laughs> well, and you have so uh, much Western shit to work with too, because this is so firmly rooted in Western tradition. Like mm-hmm. you could, he's a musician, you know, you could have like a country and Western musical, like Django thing. Like why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Django Jamboree. Yeah. Uh, it, he is only 55. Clint Eastwood was a Western star well into his fifties. Um, I mean, Unforgiven, he's like a million years old. Um, so I would still, I still think there's time. I think that if Quentin doesn't uh, follow through with his, this is my only one to make 10 movies, like just start making schlock, man. Let's yeah. see some dumb Django shit. Have make fun. A, <laughs> or maybe he's like, okay, this will be my last movie and then I'll make a series about Django. Do an HBO comedy fun time Django show. So I'm going to give this two thumbs way up. Big yeah, recommend. definitely huge recommend. If you've, if you're one of those people who hasn't seen this or hasn't seen it since it came out or have any sort of a negative opinion about it whatsoever, <laughs> go ahead and give this a rewatch. Maybe have a drink beforehand. Like yeah. really get yourself in the mood. You're um, allowed to like it. You're allowed to like it. You're allowed. You're not going to get in trouble. No one will hate you for this. <laughs> it's so fun. Everyone loves it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause, um, these people were evil and deserve to die. And yep. the people who are carrying on their legacy also do. Uh, <laughs> and I'll let you figure out who that is. <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Loss. This is the fourth episode of Quentin Tarantino Month. We will be back next week with the very last episode. We are doing The Hateful Eight. Another Western. Mm-hmm. Uh, a different type of Western, which I honestly don't remember at all i saw it in the theater i saw it on the roadhouse i remember having a good time with it and being like this probably isn't my favorite one uh and 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 also though this was back when my opinion of Django was lower so maybe i'll like this one more i don't know we'll see maybe uh so i'm excited to get there uh if you'd like to hear more of our show if you'd like to hear the bonus episodes you can go to patreon.com slash generation loss where we put a bonus up every single week and you can get that there you can also join the il cosa nostra you can join the sopranos tier and vote we will be voting very soon the nominations for next television show that we'll be watching on the bonus episodes is already up so you're you've missed nominations but if you want to vote you can go and join the Sopranos tier and vote on what we're going to watch next. You can join the Dark Council and decide what movies we're going to watch on the main episodes. All of that information is there. You can hang out with us in the Discord. You can follow us on Twitter at GenLostPod and follow us individually from there. And until next time, that's, that's movies. I need a honey black covers for a honey bed. Me and a honey black grape so I can lay there. I need a honey black with a black sermon to tell from a hundred black Bibles Why we send them all to hell? I need a hundred black coffee Black coffee Black coffee, black coffee. Black coffee. Black coffee.